beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, as the Apostle Paul, working through this particular epistle to the Ephesians, as you know, he begins in the first three chapters, and he gives what is called the indicative or the statement of facts, and he he tells us what God has done for us as His people. He tells us our identity in Jesus Christ, and he tells us then how we are to live in the last three chapters of this particular book. And so we are in that portion, right in the middle of it, as it were, of how we are to live as the people of God. Now, one of the things that we have to understand is that the indicative always comes first. So God always tells us what He has done for us and who we are in Jesus Christ. Then He tells us how to live our lives. That we know that we have been saved by the grace of God in Jesus Christ leads us then to a thankful life. And so we recognize that any obedience that we put forward to the Lord in obeying His Word is a result of the regenerating work of the Spirit but a thankful heart of the redeemed. Because even in our obedience, we don't obey perfectly. As the Catechism speaks, that we only have a small beginning of such obedience in this life. But there is the earnest purpose to live not only according to some, but according to all the commandments of God. That's now the desire as the Word of God, the law of God, the desire to live for God has come alive in the heart of the believer. We are one who now loves the law of God. We see the wisdom of the law of God. We see the character of God revealed through the law of God. But we know that we fall short every day in thought, in word, or in deed. And we don't put our confidence or our hope in what we can do, but in what Christ has done in our stead. He alone has fulfilled all the demands of the law in the place of His people, and we are complete in Him. We are acceptable in the sight of God because of Jesus Christ. Listen, beloved, when you sin, not if, but when you sin, stop trying to make yourself acceptable in God's sight. Stop trying to do penance. Stop trying to think of what must I do now to get back into God's favor. As the people of God, we have favor with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we are never in the position or condition of trying to work our way back into the favor of God. We are accepted by God simply by the work of Jesus Christ. Now we confess our sin and we turn from it. We repent. We ask the Lord to forgive us and move on with your life. Don't try to flog yourself. Don't try to think that you have to do something that God would be favorable towards you again. Your favor with God is Christ. When you have Him, as the Catechism says, you have all that is necessary unto salvation. Know the Word, beloved. You'll have an assurance of your salvation. You won't be tossed to and fro from day to day wondering, am I going to go to heaven? I want to go to heaven. I hope I go to heaven. No, you will say, I am on my way to heaven. I am on the highway of holiness. I am on the narrow road that leads to life. This is what the Lord has done in my life. Praise be the Lord. And so when I fall short, not if, but when, in thought, word, and deed, I look unto Jesus. He is my hope, my joy, my crown, my rejoicing, my grace, my mercy, my forgiveness, my all in all is Jesus. And that's when I continue to run the race that is set before me.
So, the Apostle is saying here, <clears throat> notice as verse 17 of chapter 4, that there is a way that the Gentiles, the unbelievers, think. We don't think that way any longer. That was the old man, the old manner of living. We are new creatures in Christ. But he says, it's a subjunctive, he says, if indeed you have heard him. What's he saying there? Notice verse 20 and 21. You haven't learned Christ in the futility of your mind, being darkened in your understanding, um, walking according to lewdness and lust. You didn't learn that from Christ. That's the way of the world. But he says, if indeed you have heard him. Notice what he's implying there. That when you hear Christ, there is a change then of nature. When Christ causes His voice to be heard in your soul, that's regeneration. He has lifted you up out of the depth and the darkness of sin, and He's transferred you into the marvelous light in Himself, in union with Him. You're no longer a dead branch, but you are now one who is implanted and grafted into Jesus Christ, and therefore you begin to bear good fruits. If indeed you have heard Him. If you hear Christ, you know the Spirit has done a work in your soul. If you hear Christ, you know that you are born of the Holy Spirit and been raised up. If you don't hear Christ, then you're of the old man. You continue to live the old way, whether you're a church member or not. You're not born of the Spirit of God. I am convinced there are many today in the church of Jesus Christ all across the land that are church members but are not born of the Spirit of God. They have not been raised up to spiritual life. They are not regenerate. They are holding on to their church membership, their baptism, confirmation, church attendance, how much they put in the offering plate, or that they're a good person in society. That's what they are holding on to as they're standing before the true and living God. They're not trusting Christ. They have no desire for Christ. They have nothing to do with Christ. They have no love, no affection, no desire for the things of Christ. They go through the the rituals, the rites. They go through the ceremonies. But they have no heart affection. They are ones like the Pharisees who draw near with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, Jesus said. That's cause for alarm. Because that means from the pulpit, moralism is being taught and not the truth of God's word and the glory of God in Jesus Christ. What's not being taught is that we are those that are in desperate need of salvation that God alone can give, and that apart from the working of the Spirit, we're not even seeking it. It's not taught today. People are being taught the things that they want to hear so that the minister can have a job. Well, that's sad news both for one who calls himself a minister and is not ministering the Word, and sad news for a congregation who, like the people of God when the the Lord was thundering the Ten Commandments, and the Congregation said, we don't want to hear the Lord speak anymore. You speak to us. Now let the Lord speak to us any longer. It's a sad state. 
Have you heard Christ? Have you heard Him say to you, Come to Me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest? Have you heard Him say that I am the resurrection and the life? He who believes in Me, though he might die, he will live, and whoever lives believing in Me will never die? Have you heard it? Have you heard Him say your sins are forgiven you? Have you heard Him tell you that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus? Have you heard Him say to you, He who hears My word and believes in Him who sent Me has everlasting life and has passed from spiritual death into spiritual life and will never more come under condemnation? Have you heard Him? This is a demonstration that you have passed from death into life. And you have escaped the second death. You will never more come under the condemnation of God. And so Paul says, if that's the case... You're to put away certain activities in your life. It's going to be a continual, progressive action in your life. Stop lying. Speak the truth. Stop stealing. Labor with your own hands. Labor to provide not only your own needs, but also the needs of others. Look out for other members of the congregation who are in need and help. Come alongside. Provide. You know, why does it have to be said that way? Notice the verse 28. let those who stole steal no longer. Clearly, there were those in the church in Ephesus that were stealing. And you might think, well, I'm not taking anybody's money or goods. Well, let's get a little bit deeper. Are you misusing and wasting God's gifts? God has gifted His people. And He's commanded us to use our gifts in the midst of the congregation for the glory of God And for the good of other members of the body of Christ. Are you misusing those gifts? Are you wasting them? One ten of the catechism says that God regards such things as theft. So he says, stop stealing. Labor with your own hands what is good. That he may have something to give him who has need. Notice the mindset. We are a selfish culture. We are a culture that thinks about self. And the covenant community is that which thinks about other members of the body of Christ. Even as your physical body, you don't just think of one particular uh, portion of your body, one particular limb of your body, one particular member of your body. It is your body And no matter what happens, if it's my baby toe, my big toe, my thumb, or my pinky, I am concerned about those aspects, no matter how little it might be within the body. So it is with the body of Christ. We are to care for one another. We are to provide for one another. Not only my own interests, but also the needs of others. The world is a selfish world. The world is self-centered, self-absorbed, humanistic, narcissistic. It is a world that cares about itself and wants to get its own and doesn't care about who it tramples on to get there. That's contrary uh, to the ways of Christ. So, going on to our text then, notice old things are being put off then. Old dispositions, desires, actions in the life must be thrown off like dirty clothes. The Apostle Paul then says in verse 32, being kind to one another, 
We put away bitterness, wrath, and anger. We put away the malice and the clamor and the evil speaking. Put that off. Stop it. If you're doing that, stop doing it. You replace those activities with this, being kind to one another. Kindness can be seen in many ways. When the good Samaritan that Jesus speaks about, when the man that was overthrown by thieves and left for dead, and the good Samaritan comes along to provide for him, he shows a kindness in acknowledging a fellow human who is in need. This is truly a neighbor. A neighbor is one who is in need whenever he crosses my path. That is my neighbor. All men are my neighbors, but not all men are my brothers. Those who are my brothers are united spiritually in Jesus Christ. They have been engrafted into Jesus Christ, and they are part of the body of Christ. These are brothers and sisters, mothers, fathers, as Jesus speaks about in in John 12. So, kindness is seen in his care and provision. The priest and the Levite passed on the other side of the road. Having seen the body laying in the ditch, they passed deliberately on the other side, saying, I'm on the Lord's work. Well, beloved, the Lord's work is the care of one another, isn't it? It's the care of other human beings. It's the care for those that are just like me. Notice that there was stipulation given in the Old Covenant for, let's say, farmers. So you farming... You were not to farm to the edges of your land. This was, this was provision given in the nation Israel. And, and I believe that it had provision for the nation Israel alone. But the principle of kindness and charity is still there for us to observe. So in other words, I don't have to, to you know, when, I'm, when you're doing your crops, that you have to do it in a round way so it leaves the corners so that the poor and needy could glean off of that. But the principle in providing for those who have need is still there for us. That was an act of kindness. That those who did not have were able to glean from another's field because they didn't glean off every last drop like we do today. Making sure I get all of it for me. That's the attitude of the heart of many. Well, that's not a kindness. Kindness is seen in providing for others. A kindness is that I have plenty. The Lord has blessed me richly. And I'm going to give and help others. I'm going to provide for their needs. Why? Because the Lord has given to me for that purpose. That I might give to those that are in need. That's a kindness. Being kind to other people. Mild-tempered. You know kind people. You see, I'm having flown to Panama and back recently and dealing with the airlines and dealing with different people and the, the airline counters and people within the airport. You know kind people. You know when you ask a question. And you go up and you say, hey, you know what? I, don't, I have no idea where I am and where I'm going. Can you help me? 
And they treat you like, you know what, I've been there too. I can, I can help you. As a matter of fact, I'm going that way. I'm going to take you right down to where you need to be. Praise the Lord. That's why I reach over my shoulder. I tell Maria, hey, the Lord sent this one to me. There's a kindness. We have kindness in gestures. Kind word to somebody. Somebody's having a bad day and you respond with a mild temperament. A kind gesture. It's not often how we do it, is it? This is what we're called to. Not to be angry or bitter, but to be kind to one another. Notice how it's reciprocal. To one another. You be kind to them. You be kind to them. And so forth and so on and back and forth. And so kindness ought to permeate within the congregation. Beloved, how is your kindness meter? Would it be said of you that you're a kind person? That you're a mild temperament individual? That you're kind in your gestures? Kindness is often seen just on the face of an individual, isn't it? They seem to be a kind person. And you got a scowl, you know, you don't go to that one at the counter, do you? This one looks like, well, they're going to they're gonna rip my heart out of my chest if I go over there. No, we want to, the kind looking face. So this is what the apostle is saying. Be kind to one another. Tender hearted. Notice a heart that is tender. A heart that is tender is not a hard heart. It's a heart of compassion. It's a heart that has been tenderized, as it were, by the Lord. It reminds me of the old covenant. I will take out the heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. Pliable heart. Compassionate heart. That's a giving heart. This is what Paul is saying. How we are to be towards one another. And then, here's the big one. Because we all struggle from time to time with this one. Forgiving one another. What does it mean to forgive another? It's to pardon somebody. Yeah, but you don't know what they did. It is to pardon those who come and who ask for forgiveness. It doesn't matter what they have done. When they come, you must forgive them. And you must have an attitude, beloved, of always being ready to forgive when someone comes to you and asks for forgiveness. Now, the difficulty in this fallen world in which we live is there are times where people don't own up to their sin. And they don't come and ask for forgiveness. And therefore, the relationship is always has a hindrance in it. It doesn't mean that you're out to kill them or any of the other, but you're praying for them. But there is something of a hindrance, of a block in the relationship, in the fellowship. I mean, let me make two distinctions. Distinction this way. You have union and you have fellowship. Every individual who is truly born of the Spirit of God is in union with every other individual who is born of the Spirit of God. We have union with one another in Jesus Christ. The fellowship may be interrupted from time to time by sin. It doesn't break the union, but it does hinder the fellowship, the koinonia. 
the sitting down and talking about the things of the Lord. It does hinder that. The only remedy that is given in Scripture is forgiveness. Forgiveness restores the fellowship, not the union. That can't be broken. It restores the fellowship. Now, I know that in my life there has been fellowship broken with individuals who have sinned, who will not confess their sin. That is hindered then fellowship. But I'm ready to forgive. If individuals would come to you and would ask you for forgiveness, for violating the commandments of God against you, you, beloved, must forgive them. One who is forgiven demonstrates a forgiven heart by forgiving others, even as God in Christ has forgiven us. What sin has God not forgiven you of in Jesus Christ? All of our sins are forgiven. You are to do likewise. If your brother sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day comes and says, I repent, Jesus said to Peter, you shall forgive him. Now I think that when the apostle says, be angry and do not sin, he speaks about that, we've read that in chapter 4, we don't sin against that individual, gossip, slander, hatred, God wiped them off the face of the earth. You might have them thoughts. And you need to repent of those thoughts. You need to ask God to forgive you of those thoughts. I've had those thoughts. Let's not not be fake and phony and act like we're hyper-pious people. That Oh, I never, I never thought that way. You're just lying about that. You're fooling yourself. Because that's the fact. Sin still resides in us. And you know what? It's wrong. And don't say, I didn't mean that. I did mean it. And it was sin and it was wrong. Lord, forgive me. You know, I tell you, when things happen like that to me, I, I don't realize, what? Well, I'm, I'm way along in sanctification. No, I realize how sinful I really am. When people will say, hey, you know what? You, you're a wretched individual. Hey, hang around me for a week. I'm a lot worse than you think I am. Forgiving one another. How are you forgiving? Now, let's, let's, let's get it biblical. Let's not have a non-biblical, well, I forgave him in my heart and I've gone my way. That's a new teaching that has come up in the life of the church. The Bible knows nothing of that. The paradigm that is given is Matthew 18. We also see it in the Gospel of Luke. That if your brother sins against you, go to him. Go with a compassionate, tender, kind-hearted manner to win your brother. And if he repents, which means an acknowledgement of wrong. Repentance, beloved, first begins in the mind. Metanoia is a change of mind. It's an owning of something. It's to say, you know what? You're right. I did break the commandments against you. Please forgive me. And you shall forgive him. That is the paradigm that's given. If he doesn't repent... Then you tell one or two others and you take them with you and they are witnesses that you have come, not of the original sin, but witnesses that you have come as prescribed by the Lord. We have a whole theology in the church now that says, just forgive them in your heart and go your own way. When the scripture says, be angry, you ought to be angry when somebody violates the commandments of God against you. 
But in not sinning, I don't retaliate. I don't seek vengeance, as many do. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. It is within me to pray that God keeps me from bitterness and from a spirit of vengeance and to have a spirit that is always ready, always ready to forgive. If in fact that individual comes and asks for forgiveness. How are you with forgiveness? I know. This is an axiom. I know that everybody wants to be forgiven. We love that virtue of forgiveness. But when it's on the other side, and you are the one forgiving, what's your attitude like then? Beloved, I know people who have been in the church for years who have had grudges for 20, 30 years with other members of their family over farmland. You are not following the ethic of Scripture. You are then residing in the old manner and disposition. Now look, I didn't say it's easy. As I said in Sunday school this morning, everything in the Christian life is difficult. Why? Because sin so easily clings to us. There are times we don't feel like running the race set before us. There are times we don't feel like forgiving. But we don't live by our feelings. Feelings deceive us. There are times that you feel ways and and means and manners that you ought not to feel. And it's because you need to be recalibrated in your mind. So that your mind is informed to affect the way that you feel. God forgave us in Christ. That forgiveness is a casting away of the sin. The casting of the way of the sin is so that it never returns to the camp, never remembered against them again. You don't bring it up anymore. Once it's done, it's done. Now, there have been occasions where I've sinned against others and others have sinned against me. And and I know firsthand that where you're not bringing it up and it's not constantly on the forefront, you forget about it. It's not a big deal anymore. But beloved, if you cut yourself and you get a scab and you keep on continually picking at it, it just constantly bleeds, doesn't it? And then it becomes an irritant. You're constantly trying to put a band-aid on it. It's still bleeding. Oh, this nauseates me. It's constantly on your mind and it affects the way you live your life day to day. That's how it is when you don't let it go because you haven't resolved the issue and therefore you keep picking at it. You keep remembering it. And anger and bitterness and malice and vengeance keep coming to the forefront. Why? You're no longer walking in love. It's hard. It's difficult. And I think where we need to start is confessing. Lord, forgive me. I have not forgiven the way that I ought. I have been angry. I have been bitter. I've had malice. I've had thoughts of revenge. And it is wrong. It violates your law. Forgive me. Let's start there. Because I think we have a problem starting there. I think we have a problem confessing those things, beloved. And why should we? All of our sins have been covered by the blood of the Lamb. There's nothing that is not uncovered before the Lord. And so we confess it. 
And Paul moves on, he says, therefore, and that's why I started with verse 32, because the therefore takes us back to that immediately in the context, and then also in light of chapter 4. But he says, be imitators of God. Now, it, it, it immediately goes right back to loving, tender-hearted, and forgiving. And imitates, the Greek term, it means to be an imitator of. To imitate. It's to do what God has done. Now, it's referring to then communicable attributes. Things that are communicated to us. We can love. Agape love has been infused into our heart by the Holy Spirit. We can love in this manner. We can be kind. We can be tender-hearted. We can be compassionate. We can be forgiving. We can forgive others and cast it as far as the east is from the west, as it were, not to bring it up again against that individual. We can do that. We oftentimes choose not to, but we can do that. He's not talking about the incommunicable attributes of God. I can't mimic God in His omnipresence. I can't mimic God as an omniscience, that He's everywhere present and that He knows all things. I I can't uh, mimic God in His omnipotence. I don't have all power. I will never have all power. But the communicable attributes, I can. And these are them, beloved. Kindness, forgiving, tender-hearted. Be imitators of God. Why? Because you have been forgiven. You have been loved. God has lavished His love upon you and forgiven you all of your sins in Christ Jesus for you then to reflect the glory of God in your daily action and attitude. Imitate God. This is the highest standard that you could have, isn't it? This is the highest character that you could imitate, emulate. It's the highest standard of the Christian life is to imitate God. God. And it's not easy. We are those being restored to the image of Jesus Christ. It is begun. Positionally, we are restored. Practically, it is a work in progress. To be built up and restored to the image that you could look at me and you would know what God is like. Now that's faintness right now. But it's coming. That is how we are being built up and restored in Jesus Christ. And so, beloved, this has got to be seen in our lives. Confess it. Call upon the Holy Spirit to work through the Word. And again, if we're going to imitate God, you've got to know His Word. Again, how do you ever escape that? It always comes full circle right back to the Word. How many times have I said that before? Five, ten thousand times since I've been here? We go back to the Word. You can't imitate God unless you know Him through His Word. He reveals Himself in a special way through the Word. Imitate God. When's the last time you thought about imitating God? When's the last time you reflected upon that I am to be tender-hearted because God is tender-hearted to me? I'm to be compassionate because God is compassionate to me. I am to be loving because God is loving to me. I am to be forgiving because I am forgiven. God forgives me. Whenever I confess my sins, He is faithful and just to forgive me and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. That's in a relational sense. 
In a judicial sense, all of our sins have been forgiven when we came to faith in Christ. But with regards our fellowship, in a relational sense, we confess it. So we don't break fellowship. So we don't find ourselves miserable. I've got to go to worship again today. Oh, I need to read my Bible. It becomes a drudgery. Being one who is praying, and then when you break fellowship with God, you're like David in Psalm 32, dried up inside and no vitality spiritually within him. No desire for the things of God, and yet still a believer. Can they come that low? Yes, beloved, we can sink that low. And so we need to be people of the word. Walking in love, Paul says. Peripateo. It's our lifestyle. Walking in love. Uh, Faith is demonstrated through love. Love, 1 Corinthians 13, we see all the adjectives there. It's kind, long-suffering, patient, not haughty, not boastful, does not seek its own. Love is forgiving. Love is tender-hearted. Love is one that is compassionate towards others. It's kind-hearted. So Paul says walk in love. And notice, these are all present tense in the Greek. Present tense, continual, habitual action in your life. We are to be people of love. Love forgives. Love emulates God. Love cares for others. Love is forgiving. Love is giving. Love is living. As Christ also loved us. How did Christ love us? In the same manner, in the same way that Christ has loved us, love one another. Christ gave himself for us. Think about this. Even when we were enemies, Christ died for the ungodly. Romans 5. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Love gives. The the greatest of these is love. This is what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 13. Jesus is one who speaks about love as well. And He shows that love is giving. Love is giving of yourself. Love is not just giving things. You understand that? Oftentimes we want the things. Love is giving yourself. God gave His Son. The Son gave Himself. Is a ransom for many. No greater love a man can have than he who lays down his life for his friends. Giving. Paul says we are to love in this way. Let's not be the people that don't want to love by giving to one another of ourselves time, talents, treasures. And so we want to supplement that. We want to ignore that and just say, I'll give you things. That happens in so many families where a father is absentee, but he's got, he's got a reasoning. Oh, I work. I work hard to provide for the family. So I give my kids all the things, but I don't give them me. That's a problem. That's not an understanding of love. Paul says <clears throat> that Christ gave himself for us as an offering. He gave himself. He is the offering. You know, Old Testament speaks about five particular offerings. You have the burnt offering, 
speaks about the purity of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have the grain offering, that is his commitment in all things. Uh, notice you have the peace offering as well. There are three particular that speak about the Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God because of the work of Jesus Christ. These offerings that Christ gave of himself were a sweet-smelling aroma in the nostrils of God. That, that sweet aroma is used 41 times in the Old Testament. There's a sweet-smelling, sweet savor, and it goes on. Uh, think of the first thing that when Noah, uh, when the ark landed, and he gave an offering to the Lord, and it was a sweet-smelling aroma, and it was acceptable in the nostrils of God. God accepted it. God has accepted the sacrifice of Christ. It's a sweet aroma. And beloved, when we're tender-hearted, when we forgive, when we love, when we're compassionate towards one another, that is a sweet aroma in the nostrils of God. That is that fragrance that reflects Christ everywhere that we go. So why do we do this? We do it out of a thankful heart. We do it out of love for the God who has first loved us. We do it because it brings glory to the God who has redeemed us. And it's to be seen, beloved, among each other. So, how's your offering to the Lord? Remember Romans 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our spiritual worship. And part of that worship is not being conformed to the ways of this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our mind that we might prove what is the good, perfect, and acceptable will of God. Christian living. It's hard. Impossible for those that are not born of the Spirit of God. Very difficult for those that are not Spirit-filled. Not impossible for those that are directed by the Word and by the Spirit, but difficult, hard. We're often lazy. We often let the feelings lead the charge. I don't feel like it. We're often not sacrificial towards the Lord and towards the body of Christ. We often get our priorities whacked out so we don't know what is most important in our lives. Not saying other things are not important, but what is most Important, And let me give it to you. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 6. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. All the other things will be added unto you. Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. That, beloved, is the ethic of Scripture for the Christian, which, when carried out, is a sweet-smelling aroma in the nostrils of our God. Do that out of a thankful heart for such a wondrous, glorious salvation in Christ. Amen.